right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Sala here. Joining me, it's been a little while, my friend. I, I'm trying to think of the last time you were on the podcast. You've had a lot going on in your life, but uh, joining us from his new studio in Brooklyn, Neil Schuster. Hello, young Neil. Sala, it's great to be here. Last time I was on, P and Lynn were just putting laying hands on me, trying to trying to fix my golf game. Appreciate all the outreach on that episode. It was a ton of fun talking to them. Uh, but man, I am hyped to talk about Shriners, talk about Liv, talk about John Rahm winning his national open. Shout out to TC. I'm just hyped to be here, man. Uh, it, you know, you were on the P and Lynn episode, obviously, but I'm in a recap. You haven't been on a recap in a long time. So I, I'm going to bounce a lot of stuff off of you. We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, Shriners got pretty entertaining today. It was very slow moving. It was entertaining, but I got a question for you before we get going. I'm going to read a quote to you. This quote says, I really like to hit driver. I keep my ball in the fairway so I can go at the pin. I love my driver. And I'll give you a, a spoiler answer. It's a rogue ST triple diamond driver this person's talking about. Do you know who this quote belongs to? I mean, I was going to say me. I, I feel like I've said that, but I don't play a triple diamond. So that's, that. it can't be me. Is it a professional? Yeah, it was Atia Titicum. You were so close. She is now the number two player in the world on the LPGA Tour. I'll give you a round two. My putter, I would say, is the club that has gotten me the furthest. You know, I was able to win in blank. Uh, because of the putter, honestly. That's a white-hot OG putter. Do you know who this was? I feel like that's John Rahm. Really close. It was Andrea Lee uh, Callaway, again, the number one driver in play on the LPGA Tour this week, and Odyssey, uh, the number one putter, by far, by a mile, not even close on the LPGA Tour. Uh, you can check out all that information at CallawayGolf.com. Listen, that was a hard test. It was a hard test. That could have been, that could have been Rahm, because he did win. <laughs> And he uses a white hot OG. So listen, I think I was, you know, I was close there. Closer than the first one for sure. I think you could have taken that one back to the teacher and said like, look, I know this isn't what you attended, but this is technically correct. And I think you could have got uh, credit for that one. So we'll, we will allow that. Ah, Shriners. We're going to start with the Shriners. Kyle Porter is going to be joining us shortly. I probably should have said that to start. He is recording his podcast now. Uh, we are, we hit record here pretty much as soon as Tom Kim takes down Patrick Cantlay. At the Shriners, Neil, how much Shriners did you watch this week? Uh, I got in some watching on Friday, and I watched all afternoon today. Um, my sister-in-law got engaged. Shout out to Grace. Shout out to the big cat, Jerry Riley. Uh, so some weekend festivities, but I came home today around noon. I picked up a dresser at Ikea, and I built that shit, and I watched uh, the Shriners from about leaders around the eighth or ninth hole. So watch the back nine all the way in. And... I will say this golf is, you know, building a dresser was about as slow as that coverage was today. I mean, we were, we were using the Allen wrench. We were getting, we were reading the directions from, you know, cover to cover actually, you know, some drama down the, the, uh, the back stretch. So some drama, but the, yeah, the, the combination of Tom Kim and Patrick Cantley was a tough pace of play issue there. They finished over, over a hole behind. And, uh, I, I was off last week. I was on vacation last week and missed, uh, and one, one takeaway I had from this is we probably should assume in the fall that not everyone watched all of the golf, right? So I think that we could probably spend a little bit of time giving a little bit of play-by-play -play action for, uh, for how it unfolded on Sunday. 
Uh, Cantlay and Tom Kim came into round four, tied for the lead, 19 under par. Uh, I picked up the action. Of the t- I should say the TV picked up the action around the seventh hole. A bomb birdie rolled in by Tom Kim on the on the par three eighth hole. He makes another really good up and down for birdie on the par five ninth hole. It was really firm at some of these are brand new greens. Of course, it was renovated in the in the offseason. Usually when you come back from that, uh, the greens are very firm. And he hits a really good bumper through the Bermuda, drains the putt. A uh, little little chick in the armor there on 11 as he hits a, a bad drive, hit, pulls into the left stuff. Cantley rolls in a 12-foot birdie on 11 and another one at 12 to tie it at 22 under. Kim responds immediately with a birdie on the par 5 13th and then drains one on the par 3 14th. These were just it was just a spectacular display of golf there. Uh, so he's got a two shot lead as they get to the par for the drivable par 4 15th. Cantlay hits this unreal three wood just down an elevator shaft landed on the in like uh, it had to be a five foot circle that you had to land this ball into that is specifically Trevor Elman called it out. He's like, you got to hit this a high three wood on the front of the green to have any chance of holding it. And he did exactly that. Um, two putt birdie. Tom Kim could not get up and down from left and it's a one shot lead. Cantley hits the fairway on 16. Kim misses. It's an easy par five. Cantley makes it easy two putt birdie. I want to pause at this part. This is when it became really, really clear to me. Uh, so it's tied after 16, but at playing the 16th hole, it became really clear to me. Tom Kim is leaning on Joe Scovran really, really, really hard. To the point where he almost got a little bit like, yo, quit overcomplicating it, homie. It's a lob wedge. It's a, it's a stock lob wedge. All right? Just hit the shot. That was great. The, the, the caddy convos, all the whole back nine were great between those two. And you know what? Shout out to Joe. Good for him, man. What He's been on the bag since, was it before the President's Cup or just since the President's Cup? I think President's Cup was his first event working. First time, right? And we come out and he's, you know, I mean, there wasn't a lot of winning going on in the last five to six years for Joe. So that's pretty cool to see those two like hop right. Cause I mean, I could see Tom Kim being, you know, exa- a little exhausting to caddy for that, that, that relationship taking a little bit more time to develop. But I mean, hats off to both those guys. Like they're, they are, it kind of got a little speeth and, uh, and, and Greller going on, right? Like if you, like if you have the patience for it, that's a great process. Just like talk me through every shot and I don't care if it's annoying. That's what we're doing. Yeah, it was interesting. He's in the right rough, only has like 227 or something, but it's over water, firm greens, no shot at the green, and he just has to tell him, like, stop getting tempted by trying to get this too far down there. We need to hit like a 90-yard shot in back into the fairway. There's nothing to be gained by getting any closer than that, and you bring in the water. And then, yeah, they get up to the, the third shot. He's got 97 yards flag or 99 yards flag, 94 cover. And there's just this long conversation about about what what to hit there, and, uh, and yeah, finally Joe ends it with like it's not that complicated, hit the shot. And even the announcers had a good laugh about that. But that was that was the addition again, like, as we've said a million times, of good on course audio adds so much just interest to him. I was sitting there watching with Hannah, and she was like, "That was really that was really cool," because because like her ears perked up watching that, and and the attention just it keeps your attention that much longer. So. They're tied leaving 16. They both two putt par on 17. And Cantlay steps up. And it's it's just worth acknowledging Cantlay's dominance on this golf course. He won this event in 2017. He's finished runner-up two other times. He's finished uh in tie for eighth, I think, last year, which is I think his worst finish he's ever had in this tournament. Steps up on 18. And uh as someone said on Twitter, unfortunately, said it reminded reminded me of of watching Neil play because I all right. We're gonna take less than driver to play it safe. Oh, you know, come on, man! I, I'd be lying if I didn't 
didn't look up from my dresser building and be like, damn, that looks I, that that spoke to me deeply. Uh, a little little chloroform ball, you know, <laughs> off the key with the three wood, which is that's very true. Three wood goes left for me. But like, oh, God, I was trying to play smart and I put it in a bush. Yes. And then he tries to punch it through two bushes, which I don't know. Cantley's caddy was kind of like really selling him on that play of like, I, hey, man, I'll defend like, that play. I'll defend that so? play. Here's the deal. So he's in the rocks in a des- in a bush, and yeah. he's tied. And Tom Kim is in the middle of the fairway. After Cantley pulls it left, Kim is in the middle of the fairway. His options at that point are to take an unplayable and drop in the rocks, like into yeah. actual rocks. It's not gravel. Like, it's rocks in the desert. And he has to get that up and down from there. So you're dropping two, hitting three from almost certainly a bad lie over water from a bad angle. And that would be – you'd be relying on a miracle shot to, like, 50 feet – and then making the putt like that's so he played to win the tournament. What's what sucks is uh, when you have to hit a really risky shot that is just a punch out to the fairway. It seems yeah. like very minimal upside and that desert stuff, the the white, the sagebrush and whatever he had in front of him. It can look like you can hit it right through it and it can just gobble up a golf ball and it has nowhere to go. No so chance. True. Every yeah. every time I played in Arizona or New Mexico, it almost looks like from a distance, like you're going to have a shot in that stuff. And it's just like a lunar landscape out there. Like you got, it's just, it's totally unplayable. It's like every hole is just surrounded by, a, it might as well be a lake. You know what I mean? Like you're just not, you're not playing it out of that stuff. So uh, tough break there. Oh, joining us into the pod, coming fresh off his podcast from CBS Sports, Kyle Porter. Kyle, it's been a while. How are you, buddy? It's Tom Kim's world. We're just living in it. How are we doing? <laughs> we're good. We were just breaking down the last hole. Uh, you know, friend of the pot on Twitter said it reminded him of how I would play a hole, <laughs> trying to hit three wood, playing it safe off the tee, and then trying to hit a punch out through a couple bushes, and then taking the unplayable, and then and then sinking the the forty footer for triple, a you classy classy ash triple there. It was a great seven as far as sevens go. Excellent seven. I mean, uh, some, one of the best I've seen for sure. You know. So what I liked about this was this was the play to win the tournament. And for someone like Cantlay, like a solo second, it can't mean that much to you. It really can't. If it was Tom Kim in there and, you know, or Matthew Neesmith in there, that solo second probably would have meant a whole heck of a lot more. It might have been the wrong decision, but it was the decision. If you wanted to win that golf tournament, you had to get that miraculously through the bush into the fairway and get it up and down and make Tom Kim make birdie to beat you. That was that was the only chance. Kyle, did you like the decision? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I did. I, I thought I thought it was fine. I, I you know it was interesting because it, it was kind of like as it as it played out, you know, Tom Kim and Scovron were kind of like, oh, well, we just have to not hit this, you know, fifty yards short into the water, and this this is it, you know. So, I it was just such a horrible position for Cantlay, though. I mean, you, you there, there's you know there's no way to advance that, but there's the the risk somebody said this it might have been you Solly the risk of dropping it and try and trying to get up and down from there is it's impossible like you can't do it so I I thought all things considered I thought it was the right call if it was Thursday it'd have been a horrible call it would have been very right, the wrong right. call I thought going I mean I don't know how badly he needed to try to hit it on the green once he dropped uh, but at that point we're talking about getting solo second and I I I actually appreciate someone that choose that like Leroy Jenkins it's a little bit and like I don't really <laughs> care I don't really care that much about well, where and also that he they were him and his caddy were talking about second place too like pre shot he yeah. was like okay so if I make six you're like. <laughs> 
which I related to deeply. I'm like, all right, yo, wait a second. Like, if I make six here, does that mean anything? Is that important? Like, we are disaster planning. It was great stuff. That whole, the all the player caddy stuff, uh, the whole back dime was great. So, well, you got you, you, you to remember, it got deemed a semi match play situation. So, I don't know if that means like some of the holes are match play and some are stroke play, but that, that could have played into it as well. It was like the USAM, like stroke play to get to match play, right? That's, that's, that's kind of that's kind of that's a semi match play situation. But all right, let's get. Uh, I I think Kyle is such a great person to bring into this because no one I I can think of no one else that helps me get way overhyped about a young player uh, than Kyle does. So I mean, wh- what is a, what is a realistic projection for Tom Kim? And I I'm not really joking when I ask this. I, I'm a a little bit joking, but I'm not really joking when I ask. Could Tom Kim? Be the all-time money winner in PGA Tour history. He certainly could be. Who did you you said that about? You said Sungjae was going to win like fifty mil, and that's like standard deviations off, right? Yeah, I think I think Sungjae is going to win a lot more than that. But I mean, Tom, we're entering be entering an outrageous money era on the PGA Tour, and Tom Kim has won twice before he has turned twenty-one. Now, listen, a lot of stars have burned out, and uh, you know don't last 30 years or whatever it would take to do that. But I just want to say the start of this career is better than Speeds. And look how hyped we got about Speeds. Like I am fully on board the Tom Kim hype train. I think we can talk about a l- couple things that may limit him just a little bit, but I need, I- I'm wondering if, if, if I'm either getting joined on this train or if I'm getting heat checked right now. Well, it, it feels a little bit, we were just talking about this earlier on, on my CBS podcast, but it feels a little bit, uh, Morikawa e in that he's not he's not crazy long right but he he just flushes everything like he hits it so good and he's got that you know he's got he's got that interesting um, dynamic where he's not super excitable like he doesn't get you know even I, I give the example like in press conference at, at Saturday night at the President's Cup somebody was trying to walk him into like an, I want JT take, like they were trying to get him to say, I want JT and he wouldn't say it, which is for sure the right call. Like you don't want to say that, but he also is very exciting. He's not afraid to show his emotions. He, he, he does. He's not like can't lay where he just, you know, doesn't do anything at all. So I really like the balance of how he, like how he carries himself, but he's also not afraid to be exciting. Um, And so I don't know, man. Like you know, these tournaments that he's winning is Shriners and Wyndham. They are. I'm. A, I was looking at the the data golf. This is why you brought me on to talk data <laughs> golf. But I was looking at the data golf. Like, what Guys, I'm gonna get out of here. I'm, what, <laughs> been fun. I'm, I'm, just, I'm gonna bounce. <laughs> what are the hardest tournaments to win? So they've got a category. It's like a top five player wins these tournaments X percent of the time. So the U.S. Open is four percent. It's really low. That's the hardest one. Uh, Shriners is 8% and Wyndham is also 8%. So these are not, those are like ranked 15th out of all the professional events this year. So I think it's easy to sort of write it off and say like, oh, he just won Shriners and Wyndham. That's not, those are not a big deal. And they're, they're not, if you're looking at the big boy stuff, but I think the whole of professional golf to win both of those at 20 and your first 18 PGA true events, that's that's pretty massive. I think that's a pretty big deal. Or just to, to the habit of winning before you're 20. I mean, there's something to be like not getting not getting rattled, like holding the lead all day. Can't lay, you know, Patty Ice, who everyone's telling you how ice cold this guy is. 
he's chasing you down and and yeah you just you come out on top and that's two for two with that with that situation so i think that's extremely impressive uh i don't know if his game wows me like uh you know it's missing a little bit of flair for me i haven't watched a ton of them honestly i've been you know i haven't watched a ton of golf the last two months so i wouldn't say i've you know i saw a little bit of him in the president's cup uh but today it's like everything seems very very solid and i i agree with you kyle that like he doesn't like he gets hyped almost in a lame way sometimes where you're like okay it's a little over the top uh but he doesn't get like um he's not emotional on the downside which i think is is really interesting and and you know that's a compliment right he he's like able to bring out the passion when it's going to help him and he's able to like you know keep it within himself when he's uh when it's when not going to benefit him so i will say uh you know he does not project great for when they get to the big boy, big boy golf courses, right? Now, Quail Hollow was classified as a big boy golf course, and he obviously more than held his own at that. Uh, I, I, There is something to be said for a um, below average length player that drives it as accurate as he does. He has a driving accuracy skill, and that can offset... Um, you know, the kind of the guys that don't drive it far and don't drive it that straight are the guys that I uh, that just like don't project out that well. I mean, it's just really hard to have a c- consistently perform week after week if you are behind the eight ball in driving. And he can s- pretty much make up for his lack of distance by adding more fairways, right? On certain golf courses. That's working really well for him. He has overall over the past um you know, for the majority of golf, since the U.S. Open, the BMW Championship is the only tournament he played where he had negative strokes gained driving. I mean, that's that's important to note. And he is trending towards, and this is working off a smaller sample size, like trending towards being an upper echelon iron player on the PGA Tour. And that combination, along with being a good putter, as he is as well, is mean you're going to make a lot of money. That's a lot of really good finishes. Honestly, I don't know if that projects to a ton of wins. Like, I think he's kind of like outperforming his win expectation a little bit on the on the early front, but he also had a seventh-place finish at the Rocket Mortgage, and he almost won the Scottish Open. He missed out on the Scottish Open by two shots when Xander won that at the Renaissance. So it's an interesting profile. It's not the normal profile we've seen for guys that come up, but I like the Morikawa light. I'll say light still to that yeah. comp that you made. Well, after Tron said Morikawa is going to win eight majors, I, I don't know that. I mean, light is still a pretty good career for for Tom Kim. I I thought his major finishes in 2022 were actually instructive of what I think his major game could be in 2023 and beyond. So he finished 23rd at the U.S. Open, which is solid, and then T47 at uh, at the old course. I LACC and Oak Hill, I think, are great for him, like in terms of the way he drives the ball. I mean, think about the last time uh, we had a major at Oak Hill. It was uh, Duffner and Furyk. Yeah, not not exactly two bombers of the of the you know off the tee. So, I think majors in twenty twenty three are going to be are going to be really interesting for Tom Kim. Hmm. That's interesting. That's a great that's a great point. But um, it's exciting, man. It's just it's refreshing. It's exciting to see someone that is so. Uh, we had him on the pod a couple like maybe six weeks ago or so, and. He was excited about hitting Pro V1s on the range still. Like that's still like that's where he's at right now. He just made he's made four million bucks already so far. Not quite as much as Eugenio Shakara made this week, but we can talk about that later. But uh just, well, I would like to I'd like to talk about Cantley for okay. a couple minutes. Okay. Um I'd like to bounce a couple ideas off you guys. Hmm. 
first I'd like to I'd like to make a statement. He's out of the Treadstone program. Oh, whoa. Uh, as of today. I mean, it looked like <laughs> today was what got you. <laughs> yeah, today got me. I, yeah, I've been holding on. I, I thought he was still an asset to the program, but uh I mean, we just can't have that down the stretch. Now he was doing some Treadstone things early in the back nine. Like it's just like every 15 footers going in. And Can you I back up and explain Treadstone for those that may not be familiar with this? <laughs> yeah, just Netley's whole vibe is like you know, from Jason Bourne, the, the, the Bourne trilogy, uh, just the cold-blooded assassins, but not Jason Bourne. He's the other guys they send to kill Jason Bourne, where they just have no emotion, and they look like regular dudes, and they don't smile, and but they know, like, all the kung fu, and they know how to use, like, every weapon you could possibly imagine, and they just come out of come out of the shadows. And uh, it's great. And they, just, they just steal people. You know, they just they, they do bad things, but... Uh, he's not Jason Bourne, right? So he's he's one of the other guys, highly trained killer. Uh, but I, I just don't feel like he, he hasn't closed here in the, in recent memory. Number one and number two, I I I think it was Randy or maybe you saw it that said they kind of spotted this, and I think it reiterated it today. Cantlay plays so well on these birdie fest courses. Yeah. You know the the Amex Classic, Shriners. Obviously, is, he's had a career here. And it's when he's just rolling in those 15 and 20 footers, these birdie fests. It's like, man, you got to watch out for this guy. So I thought for sure he was going to win on 18. And I, I was just, it was, I thought really out of character what he did, but maybe, maybe not. Right. Yeah. Maybe he just, he's, he's no longer in the program, you know, until, uh, until further notice he's, can he's I, out. Can can I allow this to be further notice? Cause just in the last 16 months, uh, he's won the Memorial, the BMW, the tour championship, along with the FedEx cup. Uh, the Zurich this year and another BMW championship. He's done yeah. a lot of closing. And so I, I, I believe my data brother here will back me up as well. Like this, like math says you're going to like get really close on a lot of these other ones too. And I just think that this was a knock on him at a certain point in his career. And I think like he deserves a little bit of a little bit of uh, runway from his recent success on these. That's that's my point. Sure. But for I, now, I think- he's on the bench, right? Okay. They're calling in somebody else, <laughs> at least for the foreseeable future. He's gone into the witness protection for a little yeah, while. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> New identity is being set. It's too hot. You need to cool off. <laughs> the weird part about Cantlay, somebody said this on, it might have been when you asked for questions on Twitter, Sully, but he he seems like, and we've, I've, I don't know, this is not a new take. He seems like somebody who should just be nasty at, at tough majors, right? He's just got all these, like, he's got all these sweet shots and he doesn't get, he just stays in his world. He stays, he, he doesn't, get out of control and he just is he's been so disappointed at major championships like that's the part that i don't really he i've had a hard time knowing like how to kind of categorize him all, all these other guys most of the other guys you, you can kind of make sense of kind of what's going on and with him somebody i think somebody on twitter said like it, it doesn't make sense that not would thrive at shriners and suck at like the u.s open like it should be the opposite right based on his style, the way he carries himself, all that stuff. So I, that's the part that I've had a hard time kind of understanding. And I think that's what's influencing my feelings of, you know, like being down on him. Because I've been, I've been like a Cantlay fan because I feel like the, I do appreciate the, the lack of emotion. It's a little different than, it's not that much fun to watch, but it's stone cold and it's, it's different. But, but it, it, I have picked him in the U.S. Open. Like I picked him at the Masters like years and years and it's just like, man, he's just no shows. And it's like he he only seems to play well at these 
like just go as low as you possibly can. And which is so funny because it doesn't fit his personality. Like it, it's well, weird. It's he doesn't style. fit his personality or something. He hits a lot of the a middle of a lot of greens. Like he's fat side of a lot of greens, and that usually projects better for major championships than it does the PGA Tour. And for some, I, I it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. I mean, if you look at his, uh, I know it's probably your homepage, Porter, but you look at his data golf page, and like since 2019, his total strokes gain are plus two point two. Plus one point five, plus two point one, plus two point one. That's that's enormous. There's one golfer in the world above two point right now, and that's Rory. And like that's what, um, and it's his. He's positive in every category, every year, every category, off the tee, approach, around the green, and putting. Like a non insignificant amount in each of those categories as well. And his ball striking is wildly consistent. So, yeah, I don't know what he's supposed to do. Uh, you know, when it comes to major championships during Shriners Week, but I, I, it's worth. Again, continually talking about going into the next year, it's probably uh, a little underrated how good he's been over the last four years um, and why has that not trained. So three top tens in his entire major championship career. Like that's outright one top five. And that was a he was not competitive at the 2019 PGA that Brooks won. So I think that is probably the biggest stain of any top player in the game right now is Cantlay's major championship. He didn't have a top five at Augusta? No, he got up real hot. Yeah. yeah. He, I think he they, shared the lead or, or yeah, solo did, lead. Right? Yeah. I, I he, bad, he, he was like five holes ahead and he eagled 15 and it was like, can't yeah. the lead? And it, it, it didn't end up coming to fruition. He bogeyed twice after that. I think that was in uh 19. The cat, the yeah. cat year. Well, it's interesting. I, I'm cause I am, I'm, I'm glad we talked about Cantley because this is you guys helped me flesh out like what I'm, <laughs> I'm torn. Right. I've, I've been like, Oh my God, this guy's going to, he's going to tear it up. Like the last two years, he's gonna tear it up in the majors and then just nothing. And then but continues to ball out in events like this, which is like, yes, deserves respect for that. But uh apparently today wasn't wasn't the day on 18. I, I think he he's he, he's a little strange in that he's almost I don't know if this can be true. I actually thought this of Ricky Fowler at one point. He's almost overrated and underrated at the same time. Yeah. So he's underrated in in like you don't if you ask the con like just the average golf fan, like like how good is Patrick Cantley? They they wouldn't be able to articulate how good he actually is based on the numbers, his finishes at PJ Tour events and everything. But then he's he's almost overrated at the same time because when you look at that front uh, like betting board at majors, he's always on there, and it's like I, I would not, I just don't, I can't pick him, you know, I like just, based on anything that I've seen. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, even so think about majors. So I don't know. That's kind of weird. These weeks don't like change anything about Cantlay's profile like another win this week wouldn't have really changed anything right it's time to do this in the big the big big boy events and he's done it in elevated events or bigger PGA Tour events but it's time for majors it really is um one uh one other thing I want to shout out from uh watching today was I thought Emmelman was excellent on the yep. broadcast one point that he made that stuck out to me was they'd just redone this course and that probably suited someone like Tom Kim that doesn't have the experience here Versus Cantlay, who has a ton of experience here with just familiarity with the greens and maybe some, you know, almost like, I don't want to say scar tissue, but it's like he had all this data on this course and now that doesn't matter. It's almost like a level playing field. So, uh, but overall, I just felt like Immelman was, was all, all the, the whole crew was great. They were letting the caddy player convos go and just felt very laid back. Maybe they knew everybody's watching football. <laughs> So it's like, hey, whatever, man. Like, <laughs> but it was good. 
two things that stood out to me. One, uh, it's cool that Scovron got a got a bag that is, I mean, maybe the hottest bag in the world right now. To to he's had a hard, you know. Granted, he's made a lot of money off like with Ricky Fowler over the last ten years, but he's had a hard couple. Of, both of those guys have had a hard couple of years, so it's really cool to see him with Tom Kim, and then just the Korean sort of galvanization on tour has been has been really fun. Like those guys have like I don't know all of them, but Tom Kim's got a great personality. Sung Jae's great, and so to see all those guys, Siwoo's hilarious. To see all those guys waiting for Tom Kim at the end, kind of congratulating him. And I, I thought that was kind of a cool moment. There's a lot of Trevor. I'm going to talk about this too on the pod this past week, just about the giving the president's cup a little more runway to have an effect on golf. Like without the president's cup a few weeks ago, it's a different experience watching Tom Kim this week. It's a different yep. experience watching Siwoo Kim in the future, different watching Sung Jay. I mean, seeing Sung Jay in a crowded room of people doing Gangnam style, like that changes, honestly <laughs> changes my like viewing of him in the future, right? It just shines a different light on him. Tom Kim's reactions to made putts today are not the same as they were in the President's Cup. Probably good decision on his part, uh, but it just makes you, like it, it shines a little light on, you know, kind of the impact the President's Cup can have. Now, it's also worth saying, this is a fall, a Sunday in the fall that no one was really watching and the impact is, that, that word's probably not the right word, but look, if for the golf sickos, it does add a little extra layer to it. So, I I mean, yeah, look at Mito Pereira, T4 as well, SH Kim uh, coming off the uh, Corn Ferry Tour, and a, a top five finish for him at T4. Sung Jae finished seventh. Jason Day at eighth. Siwoo Kim at, at tie for eighth. Like the both Trevor Hummond's team and a few other guys that were not on his team had, had an enormous week. So, was just, I don't know if that means anything in the big picture, but that was noteworthy. So. I don't want to go full down the leaderboard, but I just want to call attention. We probably should have done this in recent weeks. Taylor Montgomery, I'm calling. Uh, I'm 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 calling for the ball here. I'm going to call a warning shot. We're putting him on the Cameron Young radar. Okay, I don't know what this, what this scale is. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if he's he's not necessarily the ball striker that Cameron Young is, and I think he's may have been overly boosted by a couple of wildly hot putting weeks. Uh, but his rise over the last. I don't know, going back to, you know, this summer has been extremely noteworthy. He's basically the last three months has been one of the top 10 American golfers in the world. And, uh, you know, look, it's it's weird time of year. It's smaller fields, but he had an outstanding year on the Corn Ferry Tour and flipping over to the PGA Tour. I think he finished 15th this week. Uh, yeah, T15 coming off uh, a couple other nice finishes uh, to start the year. T9 at Sanderson and, and third at the Fortinet. Uh, just calling calling alarm bells to this one. This this guy could be on a pretty meteoric rise. So since April, so since the week after the Masters, most of these were Corn Fair events, but uh, he's played in uh, like twelve events. He has two missed cuts. Otherwise, his worst finish was this week, which was T fifteen. That's his worst finish, which is yeah. just extraordinary. That's T nine, T four, T three, T two, T eight, solo second, T four, T thirteen, T four. On top of those those two missed cuts, which yeah, one was the U.S. Open. <laughs> He's played some really really good golf, and I'm just putting him on the radar for 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 Rome next year. I'm, I'm radar. I'm not calling him being on the team. We are monitoring the situation because lots eleven and twelve are kind of you know could be in flux for next year, and I'm I'm, I'm we're monitoring the situation. That's well said. If I was going to give a shout out, it would be to young hitter Justin Lauer, uh, and also the Comcast Business Top Ten. <laughs> Uh, race updates here, you know, in the first one, two events of the season, really heating up on the leaderboard. But Lauer is in 10th in the Comcast business top 10. And he came, T, I think, T5 last week. 
and T uh, twenty uh, this week. So the hitters are hitting, and it's good to see Lauer like you know hopefully just getting a getting a head start right on the year. I know he's he's come he's had some really close calls on the Corn Ferry Tour, and uh, I, I love seeing him build momentum. One of the best guys out there. If we're, if we're doing the lead, leaderboard shout-outs, I'm going to go Davis Thompson. Led the US Open, 2020 U.S. Open at Wingfoot after round one. He he had a, a nice season on, on the Corn Ferry. He had, I think, five or six top, like, top fives, top eights. And he's a good player. He's got a lot of talent. He finished T12 this week uh, with a couple other guys. So shout-out to him. Last one I had was Sungjae's shot from the native area on Thursday. I don't know if you guys saw this. Uh, just hit an absolutely outrageous shot from the desert, from that rocky desert, to about uh, an inch. And I made did it see the highlight of that. That was, that was a freaking ridiculous shot. Uh, last thing, actually, is television windows for this event remain bad. Uh, <laughs> three hours on Sunday. Literally couldn't watch Tom Kim and, and Patrick Cantley uh, in the early part. Not great, but also I, I think they're at, they're – Mindset is just like, dude, it's NFL. Like, do you really, do you really care that much? And I think the answer around the world is probably no. So, uh, well, I mean, there just needs to be. It would probably help golf. I know this is not really possible, but if there was an off season, you know, so we're getting, I, we're getting there I'm one more year. We're working on. I know we're working on it. And I know it's it's great for young, you know, up and comers to get starts, and that's the goal of the PGA Tour. But yeah, it's like, do I would I would rather turn on the Rams Cowboys game? Yeah, probably. You know, I, I but it's. At the same time, it, you do you watch a tournament like this, you get to see some other guys. If you're very into golf, it's it's worth tuning in for, right? Like it is, it was a it was worth my time this afternoon. Not that the tour needs to cater to you know idiots like us, but I, I wonder why. I thought the farmers ending on Saturday was such a success, and maybe maybe like financially and business wise, it wasn't. But I wonder why they don't try that more in the fall stuff because. I don't know. It seems like you would you would have you would catch you know a lot more. Still in the fall though. That's probably yeah yeah. That's fair. That's fair. But I I would like to see them experiment with stuff like that in the in the last fall since we don't have this again next year. (laughs) All right, we got to move on to the fun stuff. But uh, as you mentioned, you know, if you want to watch the the Cowboys game, Neil, that that you're you're in line with a lot of other people because the NFL action is in full swing at the draft. God, that's a good transition. At an official sports betting partner of the NFL, we're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. And new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win, and you get $200 in free bets if they do win. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings' stepped-up same-game parlays right now. For every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100% with payouts bigger than ever. Why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code NLU to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. Code NLU, only the DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. It's good to be back up in the uh, New York, New Jersey area. I know. I'm jealous. I'm jealous of you in that regard. What happens, uh, this happened Saturday night. I don't know if a lot of people were watching this. I actually know for a fact not a lot of people were watching this. <laughs> but big news, Eugenio Lopez-Shakara uh, wins Live Bangkok. I know I got a lot to say about this. Porter, I'm going to throw it to you first. What's your, uh, what's your reaction to this? Well, first of all, he, my guy goes out there. He's wearing a golf Saudi hat. 
an Oklahoma State Big 12 shirt. Your boy, Porter. That's your boy. Yeah, I shouldn't. I, yeah, he's among my boys. Uh, a uh, Pistol Pete belt. And uh, like another one of your boys. Okay. <laughs> your homie. And Look, like dress. is a huge Oklahoma State stand. And and it's and like <laughs> like dress socks. I mean, he did you see the look? Did, did you I mean did you watch did you see? I don't under I, like I don't need a dress code, shorts, whatever. I don't care. He just looks like he looks like uh like me, like playing nine with my son after work or something. It just, it just looked absurd. I think the other thing is I don't really know, and and I know Data Golf has has tried to sort of normalize the everything's getting normalized in Saudi golf, but actually normalize the statistical. What does this mean? You know, how hard is this tournament to win or whatever? It's just hard for me when people are like, "Oh, this is the you know new exciting twenty two year old talent," and it's like, "Okay, well he he basically won the Sanderson." Kind of like half a Sanderson. Yeah. Because, Less. I got a lot to say about this, if you'll allow and, me. And so it's just, I don't, I don't, I don't really know what to do with it. And I think there's honestly, like, as I'm, I didn't watch it live. I was on a father son trip. I wasn't going to get up at two in the morning or whatever. I did watch all the, the 20 minute highlight package that they put together, which was good. And it made me sad that you watch this guy and you're like, this guy's like really talented. He's good. He can hit it. Am I ever going to see him at the U.S. Open? Am I ever going to see him at the PGA Championship? Now, maybe that, maybe he qualifies via sectionals. Maybe they get OWGR points. Whatever. I just it made me sad to think like this might be the the most like the biggest stage I ever see him on, which is not really a very big stage at all. So Lopez Shakara wins Live Bangkok, an event that he did not qualify for on a tour that he did not qualify for. And he is, by all accounts, a good player. I watched him at the Tim Aquanah Collegiate when it was here. He was an outrageous ball striker, shaky putter, but he, I think he hit like 35 of the first 36 greens. He's an incredible player. But the whole point of qualification is that you have to go physically beat a bunch of really, really good players, a bunch, like a huge volume. And that's an important part here. You have to go beat them for a chance to play on the biggest tours. And it helps explain him taking the easy way out and going to go play at live. He got to bypass all of the qualification criteria that are required for a professional golfer. It, it, I can understand that decision. Like I really do. I understand that decision. He just made $5 million this week. Do you know how long it would have taken him to make $5 million on the PGA tour, or even get to the PGA tour it would have been a long time. I get that. I don't need that explained to me, but it does not explain why there should be OWGR points assigned to these events. It's it's hard to contextualize him winning this event when his strokes gain profile is equal to like Ben Griffin on the PGA Tour. Like that's what the data is telling me that he is. So he goes over and wins this event. Like what is, how are we supposed to know what that means? Like it, it's a closed qualification system. And I know this is not a a sexy thing. It doesn't fit in a tweet. It does. It's not easily explained it, it, the, how important this qualification aspect of it, but I just don't understand how we're supposed to even estimate what this means when, again, James Pyatt, whose professional record and amateur record is, I know he won the USAM, but like has been, is there's a lot of reason to throw question marks behind that. And if, if Chikara's like profile is equivalent to Ben Griffin, Ben finished T24 at the Sanderson last week. He played on the Canadian tour, the Latino America tour, the corn Ferry tour, 
and now earned his PGA Tour card at age 26 by beating a shitload of really good players on the golf course over the course of last year's Corn Ferry schedule. And he finished eighth on that points list. After playing an entire season of measurable events, he proved himself to get a shot at the PGA Tour. Shakara skipped all of that. Okay, he bypassed all of that. And he may very well be a great player. I just don't know how we're supposed to know that. Norman Zhang was supposed to be this takeover-the-world guy. And once he had to go through the ringer of pro golf, it did not work out that way. Like, imagine if Norman Zhang got to start his career playing no-cut, 48-man events for $20 million each week. Like, how much easier does that sound than beating thousands of golfers out for status on the real tour? So the real reasons for doing this are obvious, and that's money. And I, I just simply can't understand how anyone can look at this and, and argue that, that this should be worth a certain amount of points. Well, I think I agree with just about all that. Maybe not as vehemently as you, um, <laughs> but I, no, I, I think your point stands for me. I think uh, what this I, – and I agree with the larger point of what's the difference between this and like if Logan Paul wanted to play golf and Liv was like, yo, check it out. He's got like a ton of followers. Like this would really <laughs> help us get some views on YouTube. Like let's get him into the tournament. Right. And like what, you know, kind of like what he's doing in boxing, right? Like, oh, this is going to bring people to watch boxing. Do I want to watch that kind of boxing? Not really. No, I don't care. I don't want to see him fight like, like over the hill at, you know, MMA guys or UFC guys. Like, that's not really what I'm here to see. And I think that this, that's not what, like, shout out to Lopez, like, good win, you know, good for him. Good, I'm happy, like, that his decision paid off. But I think that it, it what you're saying, Sally, is it illuminates the fact that like there isn't a true qualification system here. So what's to stop Liv from just being like, yo, let's just follow the attention. Like it could be like we just need to get the it that that's when it turns into a glorified pro am. And I, I don't think there's that much uh, of a difference, honestly. I, I know that might sound like um, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it, in some ways, it's no, it's it wouldn't be any different if they just said, "Hey, yeah, like Jake Paul, come on, you can play golf with us because uh, like we need the attention." So, and he, you know, let's see. Oh, if he comes in last, it'll be a great publicity stunt. So, in that way, I do agree with you. Where I where I differ a little bit is if somebody does want to watch this, like I don't want to tell them that they don't find it entertaining, but I don't know if it's something that. Uh, the other thing I'm curious about is. They want to do this world tour. That sounds great. But like, I don't know if they thought through, like nobody wants to wake up and watch this in Bangkok, you know, like Porter, what you said about like 2 AM, like, I don't you, like nobody cares enough to get up and watch. Like no, nobody want to watch the Shriners this week. And that's, a, <laughs> that's a good time slot. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I'm, I'm questioning the, the, um, the strategy a little bit just with the world tour concept is what I'm getting at. Do you think we're closer to uh, Jake Paul playing on Live or to uh, Eugenio playing in the Masters? <laughs> Damn, I don't know. That's, that's Jake Paul, at least in a pro am. At least in a pro am. Hundred percent, he's in a pro am. That's like they're gonna start doing stuff like that because they're gonna have to keep the hype train rolling. So I've gotta, it's like all about who they sign. Just to clarify one thing, you said there, Neil. I've got no problem with people watching this and being entertained by this as long as. Like, we can have the conversation about what it is. Like, we can't pretend it could be both things. It's not real competitive golf. Like, And I, I have another point to make on that, but I want to turn it over to Porter here. Well, I've got a quote here from Sergio because I, I read their press conference transcript for just because I'm a psychotic person afterward. And 
So the question was, when a young player today turns pro out of college, or even in your case as a teenager, there's this trepidation because there's a financial commitment, you have to pay your own way. Obviously, this is a different path that's now now available. He was able to come out of here with a little bit of a base and maybe not so much pressure, talking about Eugenio. And Sergio said, and I, I hated this answer because it just, it gets it everything that I dislike about, about live and that I want to not be true about it. But he said, I think this is a great path. He said, uh, to be able to come out here with good talent and for them to be able to play a little bit more freely and show what they can really do without having to be super intense. Uh, like if I don't make the cut, what am I going to do? And am I going to be able to play the next three weeks or something like that? I think that's huge. And it's like, man, that's professional golf, right? Is that, is that not to go full Azinger, but that pressure there of like spit brother. Yeah. He can't can't eat. He can't spit. I don't know how he's surviving. Uh, (laughs) Guys, he's going to pass out. He's locked up. He's locked up. But it isn't that, I mean, man, like the stuff that uh, somebody asked me the other day, like, what do you love about pro golf? And and my answer was, I love, a, I love whatever makes guys hands shake. Like when they're playing golf for me, that's different than for Solly, which is different than for Sergio, which is different than for, you know, other guys. And I understand the idea of like having, like being financially settled or whatever, but I think it rips away some of the stuff that like the, the pure stuff that we love about sports and specifically golf, which is, man, what makes your handshake? What like really like freaks you out? And I want to see that because somebody that can overcome that can go out and play in majors and win major championships. And again, like on a personal level, does this make total, like a Sergio's answer make total sense? Like, yes. Like I, that if I was an up and coming player and that option was presented to me instead of, you know, grinding my way through stops in Argentina and Uruguay and all the places that these mini tours play before getting to the PGA tour. Like you don't have to explain that to me. I'm, I'm way in. I, I think everything just comes down to wanting both things and it comes down to, and I just want to make this point clear about the OWGR. The OWGR is not the all-ruling power of the game of golf. It, it is specifically is like the qualifi- qualification criteria that the biggest tournament hosts have come up with. It is the criteria they have decided you need to meet to qualify for their events. If you want to play in their system, you must comply with their criteria. They're not trying to govern anything to do with Live. They're not trying to mess with anything that Live is doing. That's that's their ecosystem. If you want to be part of their system to live, if you want to be part of the Masters, the U.S. Open, the PGA Tour, the British Open, the PGA Championship, the International Federation of PGA Tours, the DP World Tour, if you want to be a part of this system, you have to play by their rules. It's not some like I, you know, I've seen so many comments of like, how can this board be and how can this group be independent when all these people are on the board? Like, no, that is like the system. That is what it is. Like they have set up this system that has said these are the biggest tournaments right here. And live guys are the ones that want to play in those events, right? So it, it's fairly simple. It's not some like governmental entity that has to be independent and like all of these board members need to uh, recuse themselves from any, you know, new tours entering this thing because it's what they have all gr- as a group decided what matters qualification wise. And I just, I, I'm blown away. Like through this lens, it's even more ridiculous 
that these live guys are crying about not receiving points for these events so far. We haven't even gotten to the Minotaur stunt yet this week, but I, I just, which was, which was cool by the way. It was, but it just kind of, it finally clicked for me this week. That was like, what, what are we, what are we talking about here? It, it's like a, it's like a fraternity like rule uh, almost, or I don't know what the proper comp is, but it's like, Hey, if you want to like be a part of the system, like you have to do, like, we're not going to change our rules for you. Do you want to be a part of this? Comply with this. If not, go do your own thing. You cannot have it both ways. Well, and the, the argument, and I think I, I put this on Twitter, but the argument is, is, well, we've got five of the top guys or what, I don't know, whatever. And it's like, yo, uh, think about the logic of that for like two seconds, right? Because if that's your argument, then the sem- the the Seminole member member pro should be should get OWGR points. If that if that's if that's your argument, you're argu- you're essentially saying stru- the structure doesn't matter. The path to like all all these sort of parameters that the OWGR has set up they don't matter. It only matters who has the best guys. Well, then, like, if if the three of us go start a league where it's it's a three hole event and we get Rory and JT to play in it, uh, and you know. 50 other jokers why don't we get OWGR points we got two we got two of the best guys you know like I, I just I think the logic of we have the best guys is is so weak like it is just it doesn't play and it 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 undercuts the sort of reason the OWGR exists to begin with and again I go back to the qualification thing it, that's where I, the the point that just keeps I keep coming back to right is Again, it's not sexy. And again, it doesn't like clip very well for arguments. And it, it's probably not going to change anyone's mind on this. But it, there's something to you can't have full appreciation for how talented. I'm just going to grab a name randomly off the leaderboard. Grayson Sig, who finished T44 this week. You can't really understand how good Grayson is and how many Grayson Sigs there are. Like that is kind of the whole point. A closed 48-person system that includes Chase Kepka, that includes James Pyatt, that includes whoever's on the Ironheads that have been uh, horrific. Like you can't. That's not the same as needing to beat guys on a week-to-week basis to keep your job. It's not the same. It's not the same. And I'm not saying these guys are laxing and not practicing, and I'm not saying the guys over on Live are not talented. Like I don't think anyone's saying that. It's just there is a point to competitive golf and it, uh, so much of it falls back on qualification it really does and i would i would add to that qualification and consistency i think what really separates like the best golfers in the world it's like what you were talking about with cantley earlier and the strokes gain stuff it's just like the ability to do it week in week out over months and years and that's what you see like with the monday qualifying system for instance in in you know like traditional like pro golf random dudes that you've never heard of go out and shoot 61 or 62 and like the like succeeding on the corn ferry tour requires you to go super low like all four days and then once you get to the pga tour you almost have to shift your game to like oh wait i gotta i gotta play a little different because it's set up a little bit differently and so i think that's where these no cut events like what you're going back to and kyle what you said earlier of like when there isn't that pressure like there's no there's no cauldron like it sucks the competitive juice out of it. And there's no, there's also no long-term like for them to say like, Oh, we've got five of the 10 best guys. It's like you do now until they're like, you know, Cougar from Top Gun, they lose the edge. Right. Like it's truly like, it's like, but if they have to, if they are, they don't feel the pressure, then it's hard to say that they're five of the best, you know, anymore. You know, I, I, I mean, I don't think that goes away 
this month or next month, but in six months, I think it has an impact, right? Like if you start rewinding six months ago and we think about like who was like, you know, the, the, like people come and go in professional golf. It's, it's the, like, uh, it's the longevity, the sustainability, I think that really makes you one of the top five or 10 best players. And I just don't think you're going to find that on the live tour. I think one thing I have a hard time reconciling, and this is where the PGA tour deserves some pushback is, and I think you guys probably talked about this, but you have to have a, well, you don't have to, I'm curious what you guys think about, should there be a better path for college stars into the, 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 the PGA tour, not the corn Ferry tour, but the PGA tour, because you know, I don't know. There's just such a disconnect. You you watch these other um, sports. You watch, and it's different. But you watch college football, and you watch Tua at Alabama, and you're like, man, I can't I, like I can't wait to see him in the NFL. Like he's he goes straight into it, and and all this stuff. And on the PJ Tour, it's almost like Major League Baseball, where you get buried for two or three years in the minors, and then they you research like a Norman Chong. Should there be more? opportunity or a or a uh, more frictionless path for those guys to get 5 10 15 starts in a year and see if they can go do it uh, it's a great question and i i think the answer in a perfect world is yes um i think it is way more complicated in the world that we exist in which is a membership organization that is pretty much designed to keep guys out, right? And so that is a flaw in it. And I think that there's a lot that can be done at the highest level of, of pro golf and that, that, I mean, at that PGA Tour in terms of connectivity between your tours and your systems in that the dudes that need to bounce between Corn Ferry Tour and PGA Tour should have, a, there should be a point system that's weighted that to blend those numbers, right? If you are a Corn Ferry guy and you qualify for the US Open, you should get some kind of credit for that in your Corn Ferry race and there's just the, the way those systems connect is not very good and it does end up keeping guys down at a level for for too long but i always maintain the covid year was was weird with zalatoris and zalatoris had to stay there for you know a, a ridiculously what felt like a ridiculous longly long period of time to st uh, stay on the corn ferry tour considering how good his talent was but in a year like you should like it if you are a speed level talent you're making it out to the pga tour and you're going to be there and you've spent a year playing and you're going to you know you have seven sponsors exemptions that you can use at any time there's routes up there really are i think they're probably air on the side of making it a little too hard on those guys to to bust through but i'd still think that is a i guess are you asking that in terms of is this going to be a flaw in your system that is going to cause more of your young guys to go take the money from live? That is a question they should definitely be asking themselves. And they have made changes. I think it's. A, I think Lopez is showing us it, it's probably a yes. Yeah, and I think even like the Preston Cootie stuff, where he, you know, he didn't get out there till what June or or May or or whatever. And it, it, I just think you got to have some sort of like an average in terms of your, you know, if, if, if like if, if a college star is not getting jumping out there until the middle of the year, you have to average out those numbers and get that guy onto the PGA Tour. You, you, you can't like I think you're right. So you can't make it more difficult for young stars to become PGA Tour stars because that's going to push them toward live. And that is horrible for your product. That is just such a bad business decision. And I get that there has to be this meritocracy. And I, I'm for that in, in a lot of ways. I think they've solved some of their 
downside of it by guaranteeing the money and, and, uh, you know, like fronting the money for travel and all that stuff. I, I think that's a good thing, but I just don't, you shouldn't be making it as hard as possible for a top five college golfer in the world to get to the PGA tour. And, and they've made changes on that front. And also the idea of with Q school now, top five finishers do get a PGA tour card, right? There is a route. There's a couple more routes there. And I just, I guess I look at like, Morikawa, Wolf, Hovland, like these dudes got through on sponsors exemptions, right? Like they got a ton of starts lined up pretty easily and made the tour rather easily. I think they do run the risk of like, and I want to be clear, like Shikara is not that level of player. It was not, never really projected to be that level of player as an amateur. He was not that big of a superstar. He's a good player, but I just don't think he separates himself uh, from the pack nearly like those guys do. And so do they run the risk of like next tier guys making the leap instead of like, oh shit, I got to go beat out all these experienced corn fairy guys? Yeah, 100%. Like I, that is definitely a risk. I just don't know if like, I don't know how how deep down the list you got to go to like hand out spots to guys to prevent them from going to live. Because also at the same time, there's a, there's a limited amount of spots at live. So it seems. So, you know, you don't have to worry about <laughs> however many guys per year, you know, jumping ship, I guess. I think they could build on the PGA Tour University thing. You know, I think that's a way to, you know, I think the foundation of that is is fairly good. And you could, you know, you can make it a real thing to where that's, you know, it should be highlighted more of like, hey, this is an entry point to becoming the next Morikawa, the next Spieth. And I know they've tried to do that, but I think that's something that they could really highlight more. Yeah, and it's also worth noting that, you know, five guys, I think it's five guys still, right, that from college go straight to the Corn Ferry Tour. It it would it blow people's minds, a lot of people's minds, how many guys out there are fighting annually for Corn Ferry Tour spots. It would blow your freaking mind. How many guys, like, first stage, second stage, final stage, like, how many dudes that are really, really freaking good at golf that can't get status on the Corn Ferry Tour? And they, they hand it to you coming out of college. That's a, that's, a, that's a coveted spot. It really is a very, very coveted spot. So, But again, that speaks to the layers and layers and layers of the competitive golf ecosystem yeah and a problem i think a problem that the tour has or an issue with the current structure is like i'm at i was at some engagement parties this weekend and people like you get the question hey what's going on with this uh live thing this live thing what's going on with this ow what's the owgr and it's like truly I, i i in my head i'm like oh god like how much time do you have because it's hard for me to explain to I can do it, but it's going to take 15 to 20 minutes. So my answer is usually like, like, would you like to stand here with me for 20 minutes? Because that's how long it's going to take me. And I will, and I will explain it to you, but it's not, it's not uh, intuitive. It's very like the system, the qualification stuff makes sense. The more you dig into it and study it, but it's hard to explain to people. And I think yeah, that's a problem. For sure. Right. And it's, a, it's also probably a problem for these college kids of like, What's the best strategy for me to get my tour card the quickest or an even simpler way to put that is what's the best strategy for me to like financially secure myself as a professional golfer? Well, that answer is becoming a little easier with the opportunity to go to live. And so that's, you know, that's a, that is a massive blindside or like the PGA tour might get flanked here by that. You know what I mean? Like over the next three to four years, that's tough. I'll say it's, it's complicated. Like you said, if you're trying to win an argument on Twitter. It is. It's like tricky how all that stuff works. But if you are a professional golfer, like these guys understand 
that's like you don't have to explain that to the to the pros and that's what the system is there for right like sure, but but it's hard for the general population of like casual golf fans someone that's like at the, like the people that were asking this question on saturday it's like yeah. they are they're genuinely a golf fan but it's also like they don't follow it close enough to understand the, the nuance of it and so their their question to me was like why why can't the live guys be in the owgr and i'm like well it's been around you know i'm explaining that it's been around for 30 40 50 years and there has to be some type of benchmark to be a qualified tour and they've done that to the last 20 tours that have submitted their application and so like what we're just gonna say like you guys don't have to we're just gonna like grandfather you in when like Jake Paul's going to be playing in three months. Like, no, we're not doing that. Like, I, I, I fully, and for that reason, I agree that, like, I don't think the live guys, until the, if they hit all the requirements, they should get into the review process and wait their 12 months and then become a sanctioned tour. If 100%. they hit all the requirements, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, like, you can't be in the club if you don't hit all the, if you hit all the requirements, come on in, guys. But, 100%. like, you can't skip the fucking line. That's the problem. And I hate that entitled attitude about it. Yep. It's, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt what I'm sure was going to be a fabulous transition into the Mina tour stuff, Solly, but <laughs> y'all's next video series should be Neil just going around to random people at parties trying to explain the OWGR. <laughs> I'm not bad at it. I'll be honest with you. I can do it. it but, you know, you, you get you, you get a couple of whiskeys in me and you can digress very quickly. That's the problem. It's like, because there's so many little avenues of like, like the just going through the requirements like well there are 54 holes but there are some world you know there are some the world golf wgc's those are 54 holes too but those are different so we're gonna set those aside over here for a second and we'll talk about those in a minute so it's not it's not intuitive it's a mess it's a mess and that's a problem well we could talk about that and uh it's something that i don't think that live is going to be able to buy their way out of and uh Speaking of being able to buy things, uh, when personal finance connects you to both your funds and the stuff that matters, that's money and that's cash app. Know what else is money? You can choose your own cash tag. I would say Eugenio Shikara making $5 million this week instead of playing Corn Ferry Tour Q School this week. That's money. Uh, I would say live spending. Neil, I know you're a big CPM guy. By my count, yes. if I looked at the viewership numbers, averaging around 20,000 viewers uh, for a $25 million purse plus all the other expenses. Uh, that's about spending about two thousand dollars in purse money per viewer on YouTube. That's money uh, in sending, spending. Love saving. those CPA numbers, baby. <laughs> sending, spending, saving, investing, splitting, tipping, donating, gifting, or just typing numbers all in a single finance app. That is money, and that's Cash App. It's great. I use it every single day. I use it multiple times a day. Checking on how my stocks are doing. Uh, they're not doing great, but you can download Cash App from the App Store or Google Play Store today. Add your cash tag to the 80 million and counting using the app and use code NLU when you sign up. You get a free $15 plus $10 goes to Youth on Course. That's code NLU uh, on Cash App. And then again, free $15 plus $10 goes to Youth on Course. Yours truly explaining the OWGR, that's money. That's that's, that's where you that's that's the conversation you want to be in at the bar. <laughs> At the engagement party, that is that's a money conversation. I I, I do want to start with uh, with Bryson and Brooks uh, whinging up there together. Bryson's quote when asked about OWGR ruling, he said they're delaying the inevitable. Uh, we've hit every mark in their criteria to not get points is kind of crazy. As at least as I believe, at least I believe 
We have the top players in the world. We're going to keep dropping down the rankings until it gets to the point that our rankings won't even matter. And that's what they're trying to accomplish. And I hope everyone can see right through that instead of believing the lies they've been told. Guys, just a, that's a true. Yeah, I, I'm going to. The stunning never guy never misses as the 10th grade know it all guy in, you know, your freaking chemistry class of like just like he his quotes are just five of five of five every time. It's a true sowing reaping situation. You're not going to believe this next part, though, that no one there followed up to actually challenge him on this ridiculous statement. That was so surprising to me. Right. Because of all the journalism that's going on uh, and honesty coming out of this tour. But uh I, it, it just, uh, Bryce is fresh off his long drive runner up finish. Just freaking feeling himself right now. Like, uh, how can you say we've hit every mark in their criteria? Like literal, a literal second grader. I can explain to them that they have not hit every mark in their criteria. So who is he trying to convince with this? Did he, did one person read this and be like, Oh shit, they are, they have met the criteria. They should get points. There's so many times in Bryson's career where I, in, most of the press conferences I haven't been in because I usually just travel to majors, but I just wanted to say, Hey, could you, could you break that down for me? Like, could you explain that in detail for me? Because there's no, there's absolutely no, and most of it is just pseudoscience nonsense that I would love to hear him try to explain, but there's no way he could, he doesn't even know what, I, I, I doubt he even knows what the criteria are, no. much less whether Liv has hit them or not. Well, he should come talk to me. <laughs> Come find me, guys. I'll explain it to you. I got you. All right, let's talk Minotaur because on Wednesday, uh, the Minotaur, which is the Middle East and North Africa tour, uh, announced its own strategic alliance with Live Golf. Do you hear that? Do you hear that music? Oh my God, is that the Minotaur? It is back after being mothballed uh, during COVID. Uh, the uh, They've got the upstart circuit led by Greg Norman and uh, backed by Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. As Live Golf continues its quest for official world golf ranking points, its events will now be sanctioned by the Dubai-based developmental tour, which is recognized by the OWGR. This was a wild day on Wednesday on Twitter. I felt like I was taking crazy pills. I have no idea how it became my job to correct legitimate news organizations on this issue. I, I have no idea how it came to this because – a uh, report in the Telegraph under uh, Jamie Corrigan's tweet that said exclusive live golfers to quote to earn world ranking points. Um, I, I was I know Mr. Corrigan does not write the headlines. Uh, it was clear to me after paying for it. so I see this headline and I'm like, holy shit! How did they get points? How did this happen? And I paid for a subscription to the Telegraph to find <laughs> out. No trash holdings would like a refund for that subscription. <laughs> All right, we we will be following up with a chargeback on that one. The clickbait works because the article stated that Liv has submitted their field to the OWGR through Minotaur's qualification, uh, the group that they formed the strategic alliance with. Uh, this A lot of people did not pay for subscriptions to the Telegraph because Sky Sports tweeted out that this alliance means that Liv players will receive world ranking points this week. Dirty Mike sends out the tweet of the Telegraph's piece with the misleading headline. And it was uh, Jenna Sims posts on Instagram, like, congrats to these guys uh, on getting world ranking points this week. And I was like, and people were tagging me in on it. Oh, you were wrong. Looks like you were wrong about this. And I'm like, what is going on here? What is, you can't, they just like literally declare, it's like the Michael Scott declaring bankruptcy thing. They just stood up on the podium and said they get points. And there was not even close. Like I, I was literally like banging my head off the wall. Not quite literally, but 
I, in my head, I don't know how any of like the legalese works on any of this stuff, but I was like, there's no way this works. And the rush to assume that this was just going to happen was a really weird and kind of scary moment in the news cycle. It was a, it was an alternative fact situation. Yes. God. And so a response from the OWGR came, you know, rather shortly it says notice of these changes given by the minotaur is insufficient to allow owgr to conduct cu customary necessary review ahead of live golf bangkok and live golf jetta which is this coming week only after the review is complete will a decision be made on awarding points to the minotaur's new limited field tournaments defined by the minotaur and its regulations as any minotaur approved tournament which comprises of a player field of less than 80 players so what happened for those that are not familiar is minotaur despite not playing any events uh, in the last several years, has a sanction under the OWGR and has um, basically which they earned. Which they, they earned. earned. De developmental tour, yes, which they have earned, and they've been getting points, I think, since 2016. They have been out of existence. I would have to imagine, we should have put this in the Cash App read, uh, that there was some money involved in this funding uh, to the media tour to say, hey, we're a part of your tour now, and we are going to submit our field under your OWGR certification here. It's an obvious effort by Liv to circumvent the criteria in the world ranking that says your average field size of your tour has to be above 75 players. So basically they're saying, through this, like we're the 120 person fields uh, and these other Minotaur events that are now getting stood up this year, that counts um, basically towards our tour through the Strategic Alliance. And the OWGR saw through that in about 38 seconds, I would say, probably before they reached the end of the application and said no to that. On top of that, they're now reviewing the Minotaur's certification as in like, oh, maybe we give a second thought to this Minotaur. I'm not sure if this is uh, quite what you guys said you guys were. God, it just, I, I couldn't believe the sequence of events. How'd you explain all that at the party, Neil? <laughs> uh, well, I, well, I know I named it as there's a lot of tours. Honestly, I'll be totally honest. With you. I didn't know until Wednesday that the Mina tour existed. I did okay. not either. I didn't, I didn't know that, but I did it. I did look it up and I was like, well, it is one of these development tours. There's a lot of them that you don't know that exist. Right. And, but they also went through the requirements, which I, I think we should go through like the requirements just so sure. honestly. So at my, at my next party, <laughs> I got my shit dialed. I just want to know that they, what they, you, you can't be discriminatory. So it has to be like merit based, correct? So there's like 10 to 12 criteria. And I, I included a bunch in our little agenda here, but there's some that I didn't even put in there that are just really extremely basic, right? And uh, one should be yeah, non discriminatory. So you can't discriminate based on race, religion, all kinds of stuff. I'm going to give Liv a big thumbs up on this one. You guys have not been discriminatory on this one. Multiple religions, races, you're good here. You're good. Well done. Bryson, you have met one of the criteria. <laughs> you must be proposed by one of the six full member tours. I do not know the answer to this one. I think m maybe the Asian tour proposed this through for them uh, through their whatever alliance they have, but I don't think they did. I don't know the answer to that, but it doesn't really matter because they don't reach a lot of the other ones. You must not know that, that requirement. That I will be adding that. But it's basically like some additions to the OWGR are like feeder tours, right? There's not been this, there's no precedent for a, like a big time tour to just come in and Leroy Jenkins their way in. So that's where it's really working against them to get into this, I think. You gotta be recommended basically by another tour. You must have a qualifying school. They don't have that. Must have tournaments contested over at least 54 holes with a 36 hole cut. They do not have a cut. Uh, the tournaments on, a on the tour must average 75 players over the course of each season. This is where they're trying to 
manipulate through the Minotaur, which we all know their events do not have an average of 75 players because they all have exactly 48 players. Uh, there's purse criteria. You got to put up at least $30,000 purses. Look, they are good to go on that one. <laughs> They got to provide starting field data and results in a specified format. You got to submit that to the OGR. I have no idea if they're doing that. I don't think they are because there's not been any real serious attempt to meet any of the criteria. And you must be, comply with all of these for at least one year prior to being admitted to the system. Which is the big one. Huge LOL. Which has been around for a long time. Yes. Big fat um, LOL because you're not meeting most of the criteria. Can you explain to me the WGCs? Where those the no cuts for PGA Tour events and those get OWGR points? Is so, that just because they're like a part because they're not the main format of a tour? Those are those are cool. Is that like the Hero World Challenge? Same thing. I'm just I just want to clarify because I've been asked that question and I I've had to set it aside before. Don't know. Well, I think that's right. Uh, the the I've I've not been a huge fan of the Hero getting getting. Um, OWGR points because at least for the WGCs, there's there's kind of a not kind of there is a path into them, right? You can yeah. say, okay, these are such a, these are a, these are eight percent of our tours events, but also if you're in the top sixty in the world or sixty four in terms of the match play, you're in, and so that I think that's a reasonable sort of and listen. I got into I don't know why I get into these Twitter arguments, but I got into an argument with somebody on Twitter that was like. If you want to make, if Liv wants to do these sort of one-off deals where they do a match play or they do whatever, like that, that's totally fine. You can't make these these events that don't fit any of your criteria a hundred percent of your tours events, right? I think that's that's what I thought the answer was. It's like okay, just there's like four or five of them a year, yeah, and it's very clear how you get into them, and like the best players are playing in them, so like they they, you know, we're gonna give you points for them. But it can't be all of your tours events can't just be these with no qualifying with. And I guess it's like uh, if you have all these other things, like, for instance, the qualification, there must be a qualifying school. Like we have to vet who's on this tour, which I think that's the biggest one, man. Like I just I, that's that is probably the piece of live I struggle with the most. What we talked about earlier, it's just like, man, you just opened up a path for them to just if this is a. And take the Saudi stuff out of it. If this was the Norwegian government or the, you know, Canadian government, like if this is truly a brand marketing arm of a, of a foreign government of a government, like they their goal is not really to identify the best golfer. It's just to like get as much attention as possible. So like then if there's no qualifying, that's tough for me to get get on board with. So let me, can I clarify the the rule in there states that. Every tournament on a tour must be contested over a scheduled minimum of 54 holes with a cut after 36 holes and or in accordance with OWGR eligible formats. There's also a section in the OWGR called limited and special field tournaments. Limited field tournaments or special tournaments must be approved on an individual basis. The eligible golf tour must apply for that tournament to receive inclusion in writing to the chairman of the governing board. So in this, it's like all of these tours getting together to say like, hey, this ranking system that we've already created, yep. the top guys in this are going to get to play a bolted on tournament here that has no cut. Like we are, we're very good with the qualification for this event yet. So we are going to have a special tournament. We all are in agreement here, right? All, none of the, like, so we're going to pull people from the Asian tour. We're going to pull people from the DP world tour, pull from the PGA tour, all these tours coming together, world golf event based on this criteria. 
bang, bolted on. That's really, really, really different than what Liv is doing. And I know some people just want to just throw the hero in there and the WGC's in there and say, look, their logic is flawed, blah, blah, blah. It's just not the same. It's just not. I get I get it that like not every event on the PGA Tour is this way. Not every spot on the PGA Tour is earned. There's sponsors exemptions. There's all kinds of stuff. You know, amateurs play in tournaments, but overwhelmingly, is it very, very structurally different than what Liv is doing? Yes. I think what's intriguing, and I think this is from uh, Bob Herrig of, of uh, Sports Illustrated, but he was talking about, Neo how Mina Tour, I can't believe we're talking about the freaking Mina <laughs> Tour in October. The first time hearing of it. The <laughs> Middle East and North, North Africa Tour is changing the world of golf. But uh, the top Mina Tour players get into, uh, like they get access to the Asian Development Tour, which gets access to the Asian Tour, which Liv has said, I believe, Solly, that a couple of the top Asian tour players will get access into the um, in, into Liv, into the 48-man fields or whatever. So there's this really... Uh, just total token effort. I mean, that's it's it's yeah, it, it's 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 functionally impossible for a player to rise from the Mina Tour into live golf. But I guess theoretically, it it would be possible. But I'm, it's also a a vote of confidence for me in the twelve month waiting period, because as we've seen, like Liv says a lot of stuff. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the Asian Tour guys, they'll you know they'll get some spots. Like they, they just say they say whatever. But like, I would love to see twelve months of like, yo man, like why don't you guys. Like, I guess where I'm at is I would rather you, if you want to start this tour, that's great. I, I may, I'll probably watch some of it. I probably won't watch it, whatever. But like, why don't you just go do it instead of continuing to tell me how awesome it is? Like, why don't you go like prove that you're doing it? And then maybe like, like then you can be a part of the world golf system. Like that's totally fine with me if you get your shit together. But like you guys just saying that you're going to do it and getting access to all the benefits before you actually do it is not that's I'm, I can't get really down with that. That's I, that hit me two weeks ago, Neil. I was in Colorado on a, on a vacation and I was thinking about live of course, because what else would I think about on vacation? And <laughs> there, the arrogance of everybody involved with live to me has been appalling because <laughs> oh, yeah, preach. They, they just, they roll out there and they just start thumping their chests like, Hey, this is the future. And it's like, man, you could maybe draw me in if you just said, Hey, we're going to start this new league and it's going to be different and we hope it works. We're going to try really hard and we're going to sign some players and not taking shots at the PGA tour. We're just going to do our own thing and we're going to apply for OWGR points after a year. And, and hopefully they recognize that. And we'd love to kind of create something different in the world of golf. I'd be like, hell yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I know. I, I honestly think like some of it would be like, if it wasn't so abrasive, I'm kind of with you. It's like, you know, Hey man, like good for you. Like I would like to see some of these changes happen, but like you can't just fake it. And then get all the access. I, I all just, Norman too. That's all, everything you just described is Norman. It, 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 is, it, yeah. it is Norman, but it's also all the guys they've signed. But that's right? like the, the Norman's words are shining through in what these guys are saying. I really don't think. Or it's the Bryson quote we just listened to of yeah. like all the lies you've been told. It's like, <laughs> no, dude. Like I haven't been told a lie. I just want you to prove it to me that you're going to actually accept some Mina tour. Play. Like, is there actually a path from the Mina to the Asian tour to the live tour? Is there a qualifying system here? Like, 
what, all, what are we doing? Or are you going to invite Jake Paul to play golf with you? <laughs> I, you know, like I'm still, I'm convinced that's going to happen. You know, well, the, the arrogance, that's not going to happen. The arrogance shines through with the, the, and this is the part that just infuriates me. These people online, and I guess they're bots or I don't know what they are. I don't know who the actual humans are that are typing these words in, but contrarians that just, they're like, oh, and it's somebody, I think Bernie and Andy were talking about this. Like, oh, we're fans of live golf. Like, who the hell is a fan of, a, of like Major League Baseball? Like, you're a Red Sox fan or a Dodgers fan. You're not a, yeah. you're not a, it's like the Rob Lowe wearing the NFL hat thing, me. Yeah. You know, like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what I feel like all these people are, you have people comparing, oh, well, this many people watch the live round two highlights and this many people watch the PGA Tour round two highlights. Like, who the hell, like, who are you? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? It just is such a contrarian, arrogant thing. And I, they just have not engendered a lot of goodwill. And and that is frustrating because I think there was a path to do something different. And they just have not gone about it in a way that is very endearing. I'd like to take a second here to point out some of the successes of Live to this point and some of their failures. And there is one extreme common theme with their successes. Everything they've been successful with in terms of getting a bunch of big name players, you know, putting up gaudy events, huge media productions, a telecast with no commercials, blah, blah, blah. It all has to do with money. Everything they've been able to do with money has been a success. I mean, the, the, the amount of guys they've gotten has stunned me to this point. If you rewind a year, if, you, if you'd have told me that they would have all these guys that they have, I would not have thought that. I would not have thought the events would have been as successful as they are, that the media productions will be this big, that everything was relatively gone off without a hitch. They've executed everything that costs money, um, not to perfection. Like, I don't think it's perfection, but it's surprisingly successful. Everything. Yeah, and I would I would pause there. I would say, like, that that does deserve credit. Like, I have been I, – I remember the London, the first event. I was impressed with, like, dang, I thought – like, I thought it was going to be, like, a fire fest, but it wasn't. <laughs> I agree. I mean, like – that day, you know, like, I guess money works, right? Like in some way. So like, you know, I just, I don't want to just like breeze over the success. Like there is something to be said for that. Like, okay, cool. So you can start a new tour. If you have unlimited money, you can do it. Like, however, however, anything that their money can't buy has been a failure to this point. OWGR application slash circumvention has been a total embarrassment. I mean, seeing DJ Phil and Cam Smith whinge and whine about that their system is unfair in the league, like doesn't even fake an actual attempt to comply with the rules, think they can just overrun it. Huge failure to this point. Uh, they try to, yeah, again, meander their way through something called the Minotaur and fly the banner. They, they found a way to get points, and of course they did not get it. Norman's visit to Capitol Hill was a shit show. Tim Burchett walked out of the uh, Republican Studying Committee lunch with Norman calling his live pitch propaganda, saying he had a hard time understanding Norman's Australian accent, uh, and that the RSC shouldn't be spending its time on billionaire oil guys in the Saudis. Uh, Representative Chip Roy uh, pressed Norman on Saudi ties and foreign agent registration issues. He said, don't come in here and act like you're doing some great thing while you're pimping a billion dollars of Saudi Arabian money. Burchett later tweeted, weren't Saudis flying some of those planes on 9-11? And what about their killing of Washington Post colonist Jamal Khashoggi? Disaster of a visit, I would call that, from Greg Norman to Capitol Hill. Next, the TRO. Matt Jones, Hudson Swafford, Taylor Gooch trying to sue their way into the FedEx Cup playoffs. Denied. Hard. The trial date getting set for 2024. I cannot imagine that would be a win uh, on the live side. 
again, trying to take on the U.S. Uh, judicial system uh, to get bully their league into getting their players getting to whatever they want. Not going very well so far. Uh, telling the players that the PJ Tour wouldn't suspend them. That was wrong. That was a fail. And they can't get a TV deal. And actually, their money might bail them out of that one, and they might actually have to buy the TV time. But literally anything they try to do without their money has been a total embarrassment to this point. And I just think that's worth acknowledging at this point. And every time they go embarrass themselves on this OWGR front, like, you just whatever they what they can't buy, they can't do to this point. The, uh, the buying TV time is, that's a little bit of a chef's kiss for me. That's like the... The infomercial, you know, I always think of the guy that was selling uh, how to work your computer. Please, please try my product. You know, the, the, the guy with the CD-ROMs back. I got to dig that video up. It's too good. Uh, I I mean, I guess that's one way to do it, though. Like, you know, I think the LPGA does that, like, for some tournaments, right? Like, I think that's relatively unimportant here, though, to, like, what they've probably promised their players, which is OWGR, and they just can't buy their way out of that. Yeah, and I think that goes back to, for me to the arrogance of of <clears throat> would this league even work in terms of stars if there weren't arrogant people running it that promised all these things. Good point, right? Like, yep. do you get? And maybe you do. Maybe, maybe DJ and and Reed and and all these Brooks. Maybe they go regardless, but I have to think that some of those guys were promised stuff by arrogant people who think they can just do whatever they want. That wouldn't have, that if people who were had more humility and more lived in reality were, you know, would, wouldn't have done. And so I just, it almost feels like the entire foundation is built on it, 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 the, it kind of a house of cards, you know? It, and, and so I'm curious about how that goes for, for those particular players in the future. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of puffing your chest out, uh, telling a lot of lies publicly, rallying, uh, rallying people to believe in them and misinformation. And uh, I, well, but also there's an obvious link here if you need me to. But I think the listeners could probably uh, could make an obvious link into what that sounds like. I well, no, I know the link you're trying to make, but I also I I almost relate it more to like the startup world, which the the Saudis are deep into as well of like the venture back companies that fake it till they make it right. Like I, I worked for one or two, but you know, early in my might still be working for one. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I would, I would say that we are not like that. Right. Because like you just get all this money. You have, you have to hit these numbers so quickly that you just have to like paint this vision and yeah. you just, you know, just continue to put out fires until you make it. And, uh, it just, the, the, you know, what it comes down to is like, when does the money run out? Like how, how often, how long can you convince these investors to keep giving you money to, to make it big enough to go public? And it's like, I, I guess the Saudis are they're in it for 10 years and that's scary because there's a lot of kinks they can work out. And also if they just went about it the right way, it'd be like, man, you got a year, you got to just like, you got to hit these requirements and then in a year you guys could be in a really good spot. And it's like, they kind of are shooting themselves in the face a little bit. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's honestly like, I think what would scare you is if they were like doing it the right way and you know, they were just going to wait 12 months and then come out swinging. It's like, damn, that's, that would have probably been more effective. But do you think they're, Neil, do you think they're hitting, you, you mentioned like hitting requirements or hitting goals or numbers or whatever. 
are they hitting any of those? I mean, they're not making money. I mean, I, I saw on the highlights of, from Bangkok, you've got Sergio out there in a, in a knee brace playing in front of like 12 people on the 13th hole. And you're like, if, if this isn't a metaphor for this entire, sure. you know, extravaganza, then what is, but I, I just, and, and maybe, maybe their goals are not financial. Maybe, maybe they're, maybe what they have to hit is, Hey, get on TV or that's what get- I, I'm with. That's where I was going to go with you. It's okay. Like, I, don't okay. Think th- I don't think it's a profit and loss goal. I think this is a, you know, 10 year, like, yeah, man, let's like, I, I think it's an attention goal. And I think in that regard, I think they're definitely, they're making a splash. Right. And they're, they're galvanizing a certain amount of like Western culture in their favor. Right. Because there are like the Twitter arguments you're getting in that there's certain people that are like, this is sick, man. Look how much money these guys are getting. This is awesome. Like good for those guys. I don't really, that doesn't really get my juices going, but there are people that feel that way. And I, I think that that is a, uh, and then, it, and then as you said earlier, it starts to get normalized where it's like, Oh, well, you know, maybe it's around for like, I don't think they're going to take like a one or two year, you know, time horizon here. I think it's like four minimum. Right. And like, this is all like, what a year it's been like, this is all new, but like, we're going to go around again on this carousel next year. And like, what's that going to look like? Right. Like, is it in some ways it's like, Oh, maybe it'll get boring. And like, it'll just, people will have less interest or maybe it'll just be like, they start actually working towards OWGR points and it becomes like a legitimate place where people are playing golf. You know, like I, I can't predict that, but I don't think it's a monetary thing. Yeah. I, I don't think it is. I think last thing for me on OWGR is I, you know, this hit me a couple of weeks ago, but I get rid of it. I don't care. Like the, the only, the, the functionality of the OWGR is twofold. It's one to say, okay, who's the number one player in the world, which is, can be financially incentive. There can be financial incentives for, for guys in their contracts or whatever. And then it's to build fields for the biggest tournaments. Well, the masters can just, invite the top 40 guys on the PJ tour money list or the top, they invite the top three guys on live. I don't care. Like I, I, the OWGR thing has just become such a hot button thing that if you want to get rid of it, I think I'd be okay with that. I, I don't know how you guys feel yeah. about that, but that, that, that to me kind of hit me over the last couple of weeks. That sounds like a real possibility. Honestly. Um, I, I do yeah, not sued, right? Like, well, yeah. And then it's like, so that's the thing with the Mina tour play. Like my radar was up pretty quickly on that. Like, <clears throat> Of course, it's not going to work. What are you up to here? Is this a, is this a little bit of a chess move, right? Do you is it one more? You know, is it two hundred more pages in your lawsuit to, to point to the group boycott that is happening here amongst all these tours and saying you can't play with us? Uh, that's where I don't know how all that legal shit works, but it certainly again seems to me like I, I, that is a possibility. I, I don't know if the tours are going to go to bat for this OWGR and, and fund the lawsuit for it, or if it just dissolves and they come up and say, all right, we'll just create new criteria and they get I will, different grounds. I don't know. That's, that's the part where I'm like, guys, this is where we're trying to scream from the beginning of how not fun. A lot of this stuff is going to be, this is what we're talking about. Cause this yeah. is going to get settled in court. Like this is exactly how this is going to play out. When I, all of our saying like, Hey, if you can look around the corner a little bit, and how not fun this is going to be. We're going to watch exactly what that well, means. I'm going to push back there because if we get that that judge again, that 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 hitress out there in California, like that was a lot of fun. I'm going to be her so, for Halloween, I think. As long as I can get some some Zoom uh, Zoom addresses for how to watch these lawsuits, I I, I have two things. One, I don't I, I don't care if the OWGR goes away. So 
reporter. I don't either. That's interesting. But I also want to I want to give it some credit, like because we've ragged on in the past for manipulation and there's some holes in it, or maybe Solly has ragged on okay, it. Now my, everyone wants to talk about it. I've been talking about it for years. Once you start to dig into it, like I actually think it's a pretty thoughtful system. So I want to give it some credit. Like, you know, like it's not just like this is kind of this is almost like stress testing the system. And if you know, I think it's you know, overall it's it's been beneficial for proving the best golfers worldwide. Right. Now I have a question for you both. What do you and this is purely an opinion or or what you think or predict? What what do you think, Augusta and the Riddler? What do you think they're gonna do? God. With the pre so, specifically the previous the, the past champions on the live tour. Do you think those guys are gonna be at Augusta in April? I do. I do. Uh, yeah. I, I I think they should be. I my yeah. stance on this has been Look, you guys put up exemption criteria and you've given these guys lifetime exemptions. I, you know, unless they pull an Angel Cabrera, I think that's a different situation. Uh, I think these guys have have just, they, I, they've earned that spot. That's theirs. They, really, that's where it becomes kind of silly. And like, we're talking about like Abe answer here. We're sure. not talking, like Taylor Gooch is going to be qualified through the top 50, like by the end of this year for next year. Dustin's qualified for life for the Masters. Cam's qualified for majors the next five years. Blah, blah, blah. Like we're just, we're not, we're not, yeah, Bryson's qualified for a long time. We're not talking about all of these guys playing majors. And, and I think they just want to hold, like, if you guys, it, they're going to award the spots through the top 50 or 60, however that works, depending on which major we're talking about. And if you've won and you're in on that criteria, you should be in the tournament. I'm I'm definitely down with that. Yeah, I, I think they will too. What I wouldn't be surprised by, Neil, is if they change, if they kind of revamp their criteria for getting in overall. They've got the, <clears throat> whatever, 17 or 18 categories that you can get in into the masters every year. And I wonder if they, if they take a look at that and, and maybe redo it with using the OWGR stuff as sort of a catalyst, but then saying, okay, maybe we need to take a closer look and, and maybe they do that every year. They probably do. But I, I think that is something that is probably on the table for them over the next couple of years. They could and, just change it simply to, all right, we're taking top. I think already top 30, the tour championship, make it into Augusta, right? So maybe it's, Top 40 in the FedEx, make it. Top 15 on the DP World Tour. Top five on the Asian Tour, make it. Whatever those numbers might be, you can just make it based on the standings of the existing tours. That's honestly Which I think a lot easier for them. If for sure. And I think almost a better, like you would get a, a more diverse representation of, of, a, of like, you know, and Augusta's been great. Remember that year they invited uh, Shubankar Sharma, the, the Indian guy that was in the... Um, the WGC Mexico event, it, it, I think Augusta's cool because they've done a great job of, of global, like making the game, actually growing the game globally. And maybe, maybe that's a better representation of, of just getting, you know, a, a wider swath of players into their event. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did that at all. And honestly, I would listen to a take that said like, also we'll give the top two live guys. Sure. Yeah. I would Me listen too. to that. Like I, I, the, just the way it's set up, like a system is set up currently for OWGR that Liv is trying to bully their way into and without like, you know, actually meeting the criteria that I just can't, I can't merge. I can't come to terms with that. All right. Not on my watch. Okay. But if you redo it and you say like, yeah, we recognize that there's a lot of talent on this tour and we've reviewed your tour and we think that you are worthy of two guys like that'd be interesting to follow out of who are the top two would make it out of that system. Um, but it's I'd, an interesting. I'd have, I'd have to think about that, but I would listen to that. 
I think this, even this like thought exercise was interesting to me because one, it's like, okay, cool. We're going to blow the OWGR up. And like, that's been, it's been working, but now these guys just like start crying over like spilt the milk that they spilled and we're going to go and freaking, like, clean it up for them. And also like, we're not going to drink milk anymore. Like what? That's bullshit. Uh, and two, like, why don't the champions tour guys like there's a lot of talent on that tour. Why don't they go to the, why don't the top two guys from that, you know, you start, you could, you could make an argument now for like a bunch of different tours. Like, I, I just think that it's, I, I agree that the, the past champions should get it. They should just follow the qualification, at least for the next year. Like, it just sucks that the live crybaby stuff is going to, or threats of lawsuits are going to wreck a system that, that technically has been working pretty well for getting the best golfers into these events. It would be sick if they, if Augusta said, we're going to, we're going to allow the top three players in the Mina tour, the non live guys in the <laughs> Mina tour. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, are you guys ready to move off? And I think we should. Sure. Probably- that was it's always cathartic, though. It you is. Know? No, I mean it's always. It, I know it is probably repetitive to some, but it. I I feel like my thinking kind of evolves on it still week after week. I went back and listened to our uh, PGL SGL developments podcast from a year ago, October of 2021, when nobody was talking about this. And it's interesting, like personally, how much my views on this have evolved once you are able to put your brain to it and understand a little bit more about how things work. Um, I think it, I feel very confident in how we stand on it. So uh, John Rahm wins his third Spanish open uh, national open shout out to TC, as you mentioned, uh, Neil, I didn't get to watch a lot of this, but, and it was not a strong field, but gosh, he has we, uh, taken on a weird identity of showing up and winning tournaments where he is the overwhelming favorite it's harder to do than he's making it look he won the mexican open last year when he was like four to one to win that one uh and he is basically the top guy that obviously the, that shows up to the spanish open and he wins yet another one of these so congrats to john rom on that one um, yeah D- dj our dj pie uh was saying that tron should go back and try to win the dummy country club club championship or the ATL. He loves, he loves when guys go and play their national opens. It's like, well, TC, you should go home and play your, you know, your city championship or something. Go, uh, you know, practice what you preach. Homie. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you guys caught this uh, in Spanish afterwards. He, had, I don't know what he was prompted by this, but uh, Rom on, uh, on Eugenio Lopez Chicara said, although some people want to uh, make us look at them, meaning live as the enemy. He is just a 22 year old guy. Uh, winning against some of the best players in the world. Congratulations if you see this, Eugenio. Which, yeah, Rom's got some comments lately. Just that he's, He still thinks that uh, live players should be able to play in the Ryder Cup. And uh, he, you know, had some chippy comments about the new PGA Tour schedule and all that. So I'd like to have him on the pod this fall if he's up for another, uh, a third go around of a, of a chat because I think we could have an interesting one. So Yeah, I, I, well, I think he's sort of doing what, what you're talking about, Sally. When you say, hey, I understand the individual decisions even if I disagree with how the overall thing is working. Right. I don't, I don't know that that I don't, you, you can, you can believe both things. Like you can be happy for a guy and think that like, Hey, I want to partner with Sergio again in, in Rome next year. But also I dislike that all of this exists. I, I think both things can be true. And I think that's probably where he's coming from. Um, although people on Twitter would make you believe that he's going to be the next to go to live. On the LPGA Tour, great hitter, great finish for our young hitter, Lauren Coughlin. She finished T8 this past Hell week. Yeah. Jody Ewart Shadoff wins her first LPGA Tour event in 246 starts. That is remarkable. Yuka Sasso also was the uh, runner up this week. 
expected a bigger year out of Yuka. She won the U.S. Women's Open last year. Um, year's not over yet, but kind of I needed to see a little bit more out of Yuka this year. Last, the last I have is I went to the Furican friends this week here at Timaquata in Jacksonville. Man, yeah, they were getting the mega TV window this weekend. They did have a prime TV window. I'll tell <laughs> you, you what, Constellation has been. Uh, they were talking about maybe paying for some coverage. You know, they they were getting prime prime slotting on Golf Channel. I it just kind of dawned on me being out there, and I don't tune into Champions Tour golf on television very often. I wouldn't even have sworn by. Hey, you guys really should have seen this, but how hyper, hyper local Champions Tour events are and how uh, really fun they are to be there in person and wild to just see yes. Colin Montgomery and Ernie Els and John Daly rolling through and then some dude who's just grind his way out there, like Rob LaBritz, who's a PGA professional. And uh, I played the Pro-Am on Monday with Shane Birch, who I knew next to nothing about, and he's like top 30 in the standings. He's working his way through it. And uh, Steve Stricker, I watched a lot of Steve this week, and it was just a just a master class of golf talent. Just nothing physically overwhelming. The best demeanor on a golf course you could imagine seeing. I remember going to the Memorial Tournament as a kid and just being like, their tempo, their pace, and their ease at which they did it, I immediately was like, okay, I want to go play golf. I'm going to go do it like that. I got it. I got it. And I had a flashback to that this week with Steve Stricker of just total calm before every shot, total trust in his talent, and it was just a dominant, dominant win for him. But had a great time out there this week. How come champions events don't, or how come senior events don't get OWGR points? That, I, that's a great <laughs> question. That's a great question. Like some of these guys, they they go make a bunch of money over there. And a lot of major champions. A lot of, a lot of talent on that tour. Fifty four holes, no cut. It's kind of nice uh, out there. I, but Solly, I would echo what you said about uh, attending a champions tour event. Uh, I've been to the, uh, been to two of them, and I've I enjoyed both immensely. Very. You can see a lot of golf. There's just a lot of personalities out there. Everybody's pretty laid back. It's a it's a fun, uh, fun vibe. So and it was fun. I watched a little bit on TV this weekend. Uh, fun to see uh, the Quan uh, re- redone. You know, I know some of those holes, so it's always fun to watch a tournament that you know, you know, what the course looks like in person. Um, looked like they were kind of complaining about the spicy conditions. The, the the older gentleman did not like the uh, the speed of the greens. It's been like it, so they've ex- they just redid Timaquana this past year, and it just opened up about a month and a half ago. And for new greens are going to be firm no matter what. And they had perfect weather. I mean, hurricane aside, had a great weather run up this week. And dude, some of those greens played so much smaller than they usually did. They expanded the greens, and so when you got to the edge of some of them, it ball just rolled and rolled and rolled. It just looked like a Donald Ross golf course. It was, uh, it was, it was spicy. I actually kind of wanted nothing to do with it this week. I did not want to play. It looked really difficult, and the scores were actually relatively, uh, relatively high considering how easy the par fives are out there. So um, it was interesting. It was very interesting. It's cool. It's just super cool event. Like Jim Furyk is somebody I grew up think having no emotional feeling towards watching play golf, and I've gotten to know him through it and seeing like how invested he is in both the foundation he and his wife run their devotion to the event, his ability to host and entertain. Like he was in the bar drinking with all the pro-am participants on Monday evening. Like as the event is getting started, he had to do that every day this week. He actually played really good golf on top of it. Mid round goes over to talk to Ben Roethlisberger and Jerome Bettis who were playing out there in a charity thing for some reason. It's just a, it's, that's what I mean. It's a hyper local event that it was really entertaining to, to watch play out. And, uh, I was, I don't know. It's, it's weird to like watch someone's whole career and then watch him like become a tournament host like that. And, it was just pretty cool. So shout out to everyone involved with that. 
And that's all I've got for the week. Anything else you guys have? Porter, I don't know how long your podcast usually go. I'm sorry. I'll hear it. We, we, we take up the full allotted time. Oh, no, I'm, I'm locked in. I was just thinking about what kind of podcast uh, Furek, Roethlisberger, and Jerome Bettis could have. Like, just those three <laughs> talking on a, on a pod for two hours. Yeah, it'd be a lot of Pittsburgh talk. <laughs> Probably discussing if it's in the Midwest or the Northeast. Oh, and with that, Sally, I think we can, we can cut that's it. it. Yeah, that's that's, a, that's it. a great place to end it. That is it. Kyle, thanks so much for jumping on, man. It's great to we haven't done this in a long time. Great to have you on. We gotta do a Ryder Cup one soon, I think. It's it's time to uh to talk about a lot of things. I think we may need a European heat check on there, I think, on there. Well, the other day you you I, I think it was you and Randy were, were talking and you said, you know, nobody nobody will, uh, you said something like nobody wants to hear about my Ryder Cup stuff. And I was like, I actually want to hear all of it. <laughs> I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, I I'm not quite as I'm a little humbled by the President's Cup, if I may be honest. I'm not quite as on the train of it won't be close in, in Europe as you are, but uh, it might take some time to unpack that. Unless you have... Just 20 seconds. I think the Taylor Montgomery thing you mentioned earlier, the U.S. is not very deep from like 13 to 20. It's I think there's yeah. I think they're still deep 1 to 11, 1 to 12, however you want to say it. 13 to 20, if you look at some of those names, it's like, ugh, I don't know, man. Like that... <laughs> Tom Hoagie almost made the President's Cup team, yep. which he's a good player. But do you want Tom Hoagie in Rome? I, I don't know about that. Once we got to Tom Hoagie at Rome, that is officially the end of today's podcast. Neil, thank you very much for, good for being with you guys, as for always. You're the data, boys, and uh, hopefully didn't, didn't put you to sleep too bad. Best of luck at your parties explaining the OWGR. I think you're <laughs> – No, this is very helpful. This is great. Great for me. You're great very well prepared. All, all, the, uh, all the guests at the next party. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. As always, we'll see you back here soon. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Johnny, yeah. that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most.